you know what's crazy is I was thinking through this whole series that we're doing, and how many of you guys were blessed last week by Pastor Chuck sharing his life verse? Go ahead. Yeah, wasn't that awesome? And I know um, I went home, and I was so challenged with, with what he had to say, and I thought, I've got to teach after that, like, and then Ronnie's teaching next week, so I just feel honored and blessed to be able to be up here uh, and excited about that. So I'm going to be sharing my life verse with you, but I'm going to kind of hold it off for a little bit. Uh, I want to kind of set it up on where we're headed, uh, and then I'll share it with you. Uh, so we'll get to mine just a little bit later. Uh, as I was preparing for this message... I started reflecting on my, how I became a Christian. And I started reflecting on the days before I knew the Lord and then right when I came to know the Lord. And I realized something real quick that, man, I was messed up. Um, I didn't come from a Christian family at all. Uh, we didn't have any foundation of God in our family. Uh, my mom and dad never taught anything about God, uh, so it was never really mentioned. So whenever I thought of God, the only, there wasn't any like loving God or any, I just thought, who's God? God is the person I see the most. And so truly, and I know you're not going to believe this, but the truth is, is when I was a kid, I believed that Aunt Jemima was God. Okay. <laughs> I know some of you are like appalled and some of you are like, but the reason is, is every time we had waffles or pancakes or syrup or we were in the grocery store, I just saw this pretty lady with a huge smile and the sun behind her. And I go, that must be God because I have no concept. And so when people would say God, I would just think Aunt Jemima, not understanding anything about it in my, in my immature understanding of who God was. Um, that's just what I came from. And then I remember the day that I accepted the Lord. Uh, I was at a punk rock concert, and uh, it was awesome. And I remember I went forward, and that was one of those aha transition moments in my life where I realized that God wanted to do something in me, but I didn't know who he was yet. He started convicting me of my sin. He started doing all of these things and working in my heart. And then all of a sudden, there was a point I accepted him. And then I went forward, and, and I started walking with the Lord. Well, that night, someone had told me something. And they said, Bill, you know, now that you're a Christian, if you pray, God will give you what you ask for. And so not having any background and in my immaturity, I went home. And I remember going into the backyard, and I was, I was like, God, I... Man, this would be awesome. I really want to pray for this because I think this would help you and me both. Uh, God, I pray that I could fly. I pray that I could fly. And I, and I said, if I could fly, it'd be like a win-win situation for us both because I could put like a scripture verse on my chest and then I could fly all over and witness and people would go, wow, look at that guy flying. And I would go, it's not me, it's God who's helping me fly. And then there were a few girls I thought would be really impressed if I could fly. And so it's like a win-win situation with us both. See, the problem was, is I was immature in my understanding of who God was. I was immature and I was selfish at the core. And in those aha moments are those times when we begin to mature and grow. And so tonight, I am praying and I'm hoping, and I've been in prayer over this for you guys, that as we go through what I'm going to be sharing, that this night would be an aha moment for you. That you would look at your relationship with God and say, I'm here and I need to be here. And that aha moment comes when you say, these are the things that I need to do to make those steps forward so I can be more like Jesus in my relationship with him. Why? Because we're all at different places in our relationship with him. And it's, so, it's those aha moments. And so that's, that's the win for tonight. Um, back in 1988, I had my second aha moment. I was about five years into being a Christian, and I still wasn't flying. Um, I'd stopped praying for that, actually. Um, and I remember sitting there, uh, and I didn't experience God like I did when I first followed him. And so in my being a baby in the Lord, I thought he left. You know, I knew who he was, but my experience with God was all about me, so I felt if God, if I didn't feel God, or I couldn't see God, or experience God, then somehow he wasn't there in my midst. Does this make sense to you? Maybe you've, you've experienced this yourself. And so I was in that place, and I remember thinking, God, I don't know if you're real, because I don't feel you. 
I don't know if you're real because I can't see you, and, and I'm kind of losing this passion that I had. Now, you have to understand, I was in the Word every day. I was journaling. And so for me, it was just blowing my mind thinking, what is going on? I'm doing everything right. I wasn't harboring any sin. And, and, and I, wanted, I wanted God so bad, and I wanted Him to do things for me, but, but He wasn't. And so I began to sit and pray, and God said, I want you to play this tape. Because back then we had cassette tapes. Cool. So I pulled out my Walkman. I had a sweet Sony Walkman. And I remember sitting down on the couch and I pulled out the Sony Walkman and I grabbed a tape, U2, The Unforgettable Fire. Yeah, I love U2. And I put it in there and I clicked and I pressed play. And the song that would come on next would be the song that would take me on a journey to where I am now. This is that song.
Bono just texted me and said, hey, good job. Um, I'm wide awake. I'm not sleeping. Man, that's exactly where I was. I was in this place where I felt like I was sleeping, and my relationship with God was all about me. And he worked in my heart and said, Bill, it's time for you to wake up. It's not about you. It's not about you. And so he began to work and move in me, and something had to change in me. And the more, here's the thing, the more I got to know God, the more I moved towards him, the more sin he revealed in my life. I thought everything was going great, and then the deeper I got with God, the deeper I went with him, all of a sudden, some of the feelings and the things that I sought after started going away. Now, it wasn't a bad thing, it was a good thing, because what he was doing in me was stripping away the things that I valued, so I would value the things that he values. And so the closer to him, the less my relationship with him became about me, if that makes sense. Because when I start looking at Christ, there's more of him and less of me. And so, you know, at the core of this song is about drug addiction. I don't know if you knew that. And, and it's about somebody who's trying to get off heroin and this idea that, man, there's just, it's, it's to, to separate from it is, is extremely difficult. To me, I feel like I had a worse, uh, more terrible addiction, and that was an addiction to selfishness. An addiction to me, and an addiction to what I wanted. And I expected Jesus to make my life comfortable and to give me everything I needed, um, but he had other plans as he began to grow me and move me. And I would have never said this at that time. I probably could never have articulated it or even thought it. But I want you to know something. I think I was, I was jealous of Jesus. I was jealous of Jesus. I was jealous because I wanted the spotlight. I wanted the attention. And I didn't want to give it to him. My relationship with him had nothing to do with him and everything to do with me. And so that aha moment for me was that moment I looked and I realized and I woke up and he showed it to me. Turn to John chapter 3 verse 22 and we're going to start here. This isn't my life verse, but we're going to get to it. But let me pray before we do that as we dig into his word. Father God, now as we jump into your word, um, I pray and ask that you would, um, you would anoint this time Father, that I know there's people from all different places. Uh, God, their relationship with you is, uh, there's some that are brand new, some that have been known you for years. So I pray that, that your spirit would move in such a way that you would meet them where they're at and show them where they need to go next through your word right now. Father, use this time. We pray that you remove any barriers that are before us. In your name we pray, amen. In John chapter three, um, What's happening here, it's kind of interesting, because John the Baptist and Jesus are uh, kind of in a competition. Now, it's not meant to be that way, but that's really what's happening. You see, John the Baptist and Jesus were born around the same time. John the Baptist, his responsibility or his job was to be the forerunner to Christ, the forerunner to Jesus. That means he was to pave the way for him to come in. Uh, and so John went into the wilderness and began preaching and baptizing that the, about the kingdom of God and just did some empower, just amazing things. But in the midst of doing that, he started, um, he, he kind of started a church. I mean, I guess you could call it that. And so he's out in the wilderness and he's baptizing people and he's teaching people about the kingdom of God and he's saying that Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one is about to come. And so during that time, his disciples, the people that have been following him, they actually come to him, and they say, hey, John, uh, there's this guy who has this question about purity rituals and, and all these other things, and then they turn and they say to him, and also, uh, there's, they, there's these people that are not coming here anymore, and they're going over to Jesus to be baptized, and they're listening to him. So there's Jesus across the river, if you want to say it that way, and everybody's going to his church. They're not coming to yours anymore. What do you think about that, right? And so, right, everybody's leaving. They're not following you anymore, and they're going somewhere else. Man, does, that bothers you because that bothers us. I can't believe they're doing that. I mean, we, we started this thing together, and, and, and now all of a sudden that Jesus guy who this is all about is taking everyone, right? That's really what's happening. So look in John chapter 3, and actually in verse 27, 
Uh, this is what John tells his guys. He says this, he says, so John answered and he said to his, his guys, he says, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. Okay, well, let's just stop right there. I think we're all on the same page here. None of us can receive anything unless it's been given to us from above. Everything we have, every blessing comes from above. It's from Christ. This church is an awesome church, but we didn't build this church. God built this church, right? And it's not about us. It's about him. This is what he wanted, and he uses his people to make it happen. But it, in the end, is all about him. And we have an amazing and incredible church. Maybe you, your relationship with him, it's, it's, it's not about you, it's about him. Because everything you have comes from above. And so John is redirecting his own disciples. He's probably going, what the heck did I teach these guys? I mean, they're so off track right now. And then he says this, he says, uh, verse 20, it says, You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. So he says, you guys even heard me say that I'm not the Christ. I'm sent before him. Okay? I was put here before him. I'm here to pave the way for him. You've heard me talk about him. And then he goes on and he says this, verse 29. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. And then he says, therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. So now he gives them a word picture that they understand. Uh, and he's talking about a Jewish wedding. And so he's, what he's telling them is this, and I, I find this so interesting and, and amazing at the same time. He, he's saying that, that Jesus is the bridegroom. Uh, the bride is the church. And John the Baptist is the best man. And now back in that day and that time, the best man, his responsibility was to prepare the wedding and get everything taken care of. See, I don't know how it got switched around, right? Because doesn't like the maid of honor and the bride do all that now? Right? Yeah, sorry. But back then, it was the best man's job. And so the best man would go, and if they had a contract, they would have marriage contracts. They called it a ketubah. And, and it would be like if you got married, you would agree to a list of things. And so the, bride, the bridegroom's best man would be the guy who would write that out and make sure everything was there, and they would go and get it signed, you know, make sure she does dishes, he does this, he cleans the garage, he lifts the toilet seat, all those. That's, that's really the, the contract was similar to that. These are the things we're agreeing to. And he would also prepare the way for the ceremony. He would prepare the way for the dowry, making sure all of those things were taking place. So John the Baptist is saying, I'm this guy. I am the best man to Jesus. And all of a sudden he says, when he came, what it says, it says, my joy, the, this joy of mine is fulfilled. So what he's saying is this, now that he's here, all of the lights all of the attention that were on us, all of these things that were pointed to us are now redirecting over to Jesus, to the bridegroom. The rice, the video, the, the pictures, everything goes to the bridegroom, Jesus. We've done our responsibility, we've done our job, and we've done what God has called us to do, and now this is why we did it, because of, John, because of what Jesus is gonna, about to do. Now, we know just a few weeks later that John the Baptist is put to death. So, so he literally gives up everything. And so this is where my life first comes in, is in verse 30. Because I think these, these six words changed everything for me. Uh, when I heard that song, Wide Awake, God also brought this section of scripture all during that same period of time. And he began to show me, Bill, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about me. And so he says in verse 30, John says something that just rings true and it, it just it puts fear and excitement in me. He says, he must increase and I must decrease. He must become more and I must become less. It's about him and it's not about you, Bill. It's all about you giving to him and receiving nothing in return. Do you catch that? It's about you allowing God to move in you and allowing God to use you. He must increase and you must decrease. Now, I'm a marketing major, and um, I don't know, isn't that weird? Uh, do you know what the most powerful word in marketing is? Does anybody know? 
Is any marketing people in here? You should know this. Where's Casey? She knows. Um, the most powerful word in marketing is this, you. If I want to grab someone's eyes, I say, you. Why is it you? Because we're so selfish. Right? If I talk about you all the time, you're like, oh, man, that's, this is an interesting conversation. Right? <laughs> you're talking about me. Dale Carnegie wrote the book, uh, How to Have Friends. I forgot. The, it's a classic book. The, the biggest thing of that book is just listen to people. Let them talk about themselves, and you'll have best friends everywhere. Because people love to talk about themselves. We love us. We love you. We love me. I love me. I love you as in me. Does that make sense? Um, you'll get that when you go home later. But we're obsessed with you. Let me ask you this. How many of you have ever Googled your name? Come on. How many of you have Googled your name? You're lying. A bunch of liars in here. <laughs> okay, you Googled it. Why? Because we're so interested in ourselves. Do you know the internet follows you? It, it, it wants to know all about you. And it wants to know what websites you visit, where you go. And here's the thing, you get mad at them for doing that. You get mad at the internet for following you all over the internet. Why? They're just trying to help you buy things that you want to buy because they want to make your internet experience for you. See, the whole world is about you, right? What am I going to eat tonight, right? How am I going to live? What decisions am I going to make? What, what career do I want? All these things, and we're obsessed with you. Have you ever seen a, 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 a baby like in, like in our offices right now? We have, we have two babies, Tegan and Michael, and they're awesome. And, and you know what is so funny? When, when those babies are around, what happens? Those babies sit down, and you go in like, oh, you tickle their feet. And, you, and I mean, people after people go, I don't think there's one point in the day in our church offices that someone isn't holding one of those babies and like talking to them and saying, oh, you're the cutest thing in the world, and you're amazing. Man, it's all about those babies when they're in there. And you know what's funny is when those babies get older, right, and then they start, they get a little in that annoying stage, and they're going, no one's paying attention to me. No one's squeezing my little toes. No one's coming in and telling me how cute I am because they begin to grow. See, I think some of us are still stuck in that baby stage. It doesn't stop for some of us. And we think that this is all about us. Oh, I love the worship. It's all, it's, it touches my heart. Oh, I love doing this. I love, you know, I love when Pastor Chuck speaks. I can't believe that guy Bill is up there speaking. I should have left. I can't get out. How can I sneak out right now? Maybe I can get out of here real quick. We got guys at the door. You can't sneak out. So, and I'll see you. And anyway, um, but, but you know what I'm saying? It, it, and it, we make it about us. And when he says, I must decrease and he must increase, it makes it about him. And so Jesus calls us to something opposite. He, in fact, he, this is the interesting thing is when you look at that verse, I always thought that, well, if he increases, then I'm going to increase too. Because you know what, the, the, the more I give to Jesus, then, you know, I'm going to be, my popularity maybe will go up, maybe, you know, I'll get some attention, or maybe, you know, I'll get the things that I want. But he actually says, the, the more he decreases, it's just the, on the opposite end of the spectrum, we decrease. The more we come to know and be in relationship with him, the more we sacrifice and the more we, the more we look like him, and the less we look like ourselves, now, that doesn't mean God doesn't use our gifts and our talents and those things. But what I'm saying is, our decision-making process, our growth, our spirituality, the more we become like him, the less we become like ourselves. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 with me and look at this. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, Paul is going to talk a little bit. And he says this. He says, for... For the love of Christ compels us, okay? For, for his love compels us. That's, it, it's what moves us forward. It says, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all. Okay, so basically, there's a, there's a whole mouthful right there. But basically, he's saying, you know what? Jesus died for us so that we could have life. And if one person died who was perfect as Jesus was, and he died for all of us, then, then we are under that. Okay? And then verse 15, and, he, and, and then he says, uh, and he died for all. Why did he die for all? That those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. 
So the purpose of him dying was so that he could save us so that we would no longer live for ourselves but for him. But the gospel according to Bill so many times is that he died so that I could have a better life. He died so that I could be comfortable. He died so that uh, my sins can be forgiven and I can go to heaven. Now, don't get me wrong, all those things are blessings and gosh, he gives them to us. But he says, why did he die for us? So that those of us who are living would live for him and not ourselves, and not ourselves. So when I hear people say, well, what's my purpose in life? Well, your purpose is right here. Don't live for yourself. Live for him. In every decision that you make, the first commandment, right? Have no other gods before me. God is number one. Love thy Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, strength. That, that, that's following after him. It's living and saying every decision I make, is this the decision that God wants me to make? Is this where he's leading me? Do I have that obedience when he tells me something that I'm going to do it, that I'm going to step out right then and there and walk into it and say, I, I'm really uncomfortable right now, but I'm going to do it. Are, are, are we more worried about our reputation or his reputation? You see what I'm saying? Am I more worried about what people think of me or what they think of God? Am I, am, am I, is it about me or is it about him? And those are the things I was challenged with. And those were the things that God at the core began to work in me and move in me. And man, it was a scary time. Turn over to Matthew chapter 16. And um, I'm a little mad at Ronnie because he stole this in his communion message. And we didn't even plan it. It's just how God works. I'm sorry, I know for your, um, all right, if you get there, 1624, listen to what it says. So then Jesus said to his disciples, he said, if anyone desires to come after me. So I, I can imagine what this conversation went like. Uh, you imagine Jesus' disciples are following him and all of a sudden he stops and he goes, hey guys, I just want you to know if anybody wants to, you know, join this thing that we're doing. If anybody wants to come after us, you know, come after me and follow me. Um, and I've got, I've got some guidelines because there's a lot of people that just want to hop in and, and kind of, you know, skate on and, and not really be committed. And so he looks at him, he says, I want you guys to know something. If anybody wants to come after me, this is what you need to tell them. Okay, this is what you need to say to them. You need to, you know, get in, get down, get low, get right in their face and say, hey, you know what? Man, I'm so glad that you, you want to come and follow Jesus. Here's what he's asking you to do, okay? Can you do this? And this is what he says, right? He says, if anybody desires to come after me, he says, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So the first step is to deny yourself. The first step is, you know what that word deny means? It means to denounce. It's, it's to denounce. Like, could you imagine denouncing everything about yourself to say, you know what, it's no longer me, that's what it means. No matter what I think anymore, no matter what I've been taught, Aunt Jemima isn't God anymore, you know? No matter any of that, I denounce what I used to think and believe and transition my life according to Scripture and what He has for me. And I have that intimate relationship with Him where I know and understand, and I'm in a community where I'm learning together with people, and it's like iron sharpens iron, and we're growing towards being more like Him. That's denying myself. I'm denouncing my old life for my new. So when you're at the office and, you know, something comes up and somebody wants you to cheat, somebody wants you to do, you know, mess up a report, and you're like, that, that's the old me, but that's not the new me. I denounce that. That's not who God would want me to be. Do you see how that works? And so our life begins to change, and we take the hits for it. Because it's not about us, it's about God. And then he goes on to say this. So you have verse 24, then he goes to verse 25. He says, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. On your little fill in there, it would say, I must lose to win. If you see that, I think it's the second point. I must lose to win. See, because that's what he's saying to us is, we, in order for us to win, we have to lose everything. So the question is, are we willing to do it? Am I willing to do it? Am I willing to lose everything for him? And I, I hope you're being challenged with this right now. Because this is what he calls us to. He's saying, if we desire to save our lives, uh, we're not losing, we're trying to win. 
And he says just the opposite. Do you see the opposite of, of, of how Jesus thinks? See, in order for me to win, I have to lose everything. In order for me to follow him, he has to become greater. I have to become less. It kind of just, I see myself just, wow. Well, what about me, God? What about me? Like, I want to experience you. Oh, I understand that. I understand you want to experience me. I understand you want to have this really, and, and I want to have definitely this relationship with us. But as you grow in that relationship, I want you to become more like me and understand my suffering and understand who I am. And so true life at the core, true life is about what he wants for us and not what we want for us. And you know what's crazy? Is that's the best possible life. That's the best possible life, is when we lose everything, we gain the world. We gain it all. And when we sacrifice and we make ourselves, when he becomes greater and we become less, you know what happens? He becomes greater, his cause moves, and all of a sudden, he's able to work in a powerful way. And yeah, we don't get the glory, nor do we want the glory, but you know what happens in us? We're like, man, I get to be a part of this. Thank you, God. I am honored and humbled I don't deserve any of this. And so when we walk before him, it's, I am a humble servant. I am your slave, whatever you want. So I must lose to win. Turn over to Galatians chapter 2, a little bit to the right. And, or a lot to the right, I shouldn't say a little bit. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul's going to share something else. Listen to what he says. He says in verse 20, he says, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. I'll stop there for a minute. I've read that somewhere. I've been crucified with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. Oh my, that hurts. I have given everything up for him. I have surrendered all of me. I, I have taken myself and crucified. Crucified is, is, is meaning I, I, I've died to myself. I've died to all my desires, everything I want, everything I desire, and I've given it to him. So I've crucified myself. And then he says this, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you catch this? And so the response was, if I crucify myself and then I in return live for him, that I follow him and I live in that faith. See, I... I don't know if you're like me, but so many times I, I would live my life by what I saw or what I felt or what I experienced or the circumstances around me. And here, Paul says it's, it's about faith. So even when I, I can't feel him, I know he's there. Because you know what? There's going to be storms, right? There's going to be those dark times. And even if I come into a worship service and I'm in a bad mood, I can still worship. Why? Because it's not about me. I live by faith. God, I am so sorry for the way I feel right now. And you know what? I'm being negative and you know, I just need to come before you. And God, I'm going to praise you regardless of how I feel. Why? Because I know that you enjoy this praise. It's not about me enjoying the praise. It's about him enjoying the praise. God, in my life, you know what? I... I man, I, I just don't feel like doing what you've called me to do. I don't feel like going and witnessing to that person over there. Or, you know, when God tells you, hey, go, go talk to someone. Go talk to that person over in the corner. Just tell them I love them. It's like, I don't feel like doing that. We live by faith and not by sight. We live trusting in obedience to know that God is leading us and directing us. No matter what. No matter what. And so that sight, that feeling, all those things. Now, I know what you're asking me is, is, you're probably saying, well, how then, how can I increase God in my life and decrease myself? Well, very practically, very easily you can do that. I'll just kind of take you on my journey a little bit and tell you how, how those aha moments for me were, those stages of growth, because I think those are really important. And so when you start looking at your life, you could say, you have to identify where, where am I at right now with God? And you have to be honest. Is it about you? Is it really about you? Is it really about him? Like, and, and you just, just think these things. Is it, identify where you're at because that's the starting point. And from there, then you could say, okay, I know what steps I need to take. 
Like I said, when I was first a Christian, it was about me. But I was a baby Christian. I was a baby Christian. It took some time, right? I had to be bottle fed, right? I had to, my diaper had to be changed, if you want to say it that way. I had to be at that place, and God began to move. And all of a sudden, through a group of people, he said, you know what? I want you to be a part of a, a bigger community of people who are going to hold you accountable. And so here's a step for you. If you are in that place, if you're in that place where, you, where the church, your relationship with God is all about you, the next step for you is to say, I need to get connected into a group of people who are going to be real with me and hold me accountable. And they're going to look at my life and look at me and say, yeah, these are some things that, that are going to have to change. That is the first step for you. And you know what? We have an incredible men's ministry that does this. That, especially for the guys. We have an incredible women's ministry that does this. Okay, and that's the first step if you need to do that, that you need to get connected in those areas and say, I'm going to allow people into my life. Let's say you're there. Let's say, you know what? You, you show up to church and you love being a part. You're connected in community. You know what? Are you serving? Are you serving him? You know, are you enjoying all the benefits of having community, all the benefits of coming in and sitting down? Do you realize that there's other people that need to experience what you're experiencing, and until you're able to step up and serve, they won't be able to do that because you're taking up their seat? And so when you come to that mind and maturity, I remember coming to this place and realizing, oh, wait a minute, the church isn't about me. If I start serving, then other people are able to come in and participate and be a part, and then they can grow as well. Do you see how that works? And so I need to step up, and I need to get... When you go over to children's ministry to serve, you know what you're doing? You're allowing somebody else to come in here and experience what you've already experienced before. And you're sacrificing because, remember, it's not about you. It's about Jesus, and it's about the call. And then they're able to experience that and grow through that as well. But if you stop there, then somebody else can't. I know I'm going fast, but... I think the last one is this, and man, this is the most powerful to me, is God calls us to make disciples. He calls us. He says, go into all the world and make disciples. And guys, you know what? I've been a Christian for almost, almost 30 years. Man, I'm old. But I'm looking and I'm thinking, how many people, how long have you known the Lord? I'm a 30-year-old and I probably act like a five-year-old in Christian terms. Do you see that? I'm so immature there's some of you guys that have been in the church for years and you've never discipled one guy. You've been through so much in your life, but you've never sat down with anybody else and said, hey, this is how I got through it. Let me show you the way. Let me pray for you. How can I, how can I? There's some couples in here that have been together for 20, 30, 40 years. And you know what? You've never taken a young couple and discipled them through their marriage. Do you know how many young couples I have in Fuse that need discipling through their marriage? If they need to see that they can make it, they need wisdom. Who's going to do that? Does it just happen? That's what he's called us to do, to walk people, to have godly, Christ-centered marriages. My challenge to you is this. If that's where you, wherever you're at, that you take that step forward. And tonight you're probably asking, well, wait a minute. I don't, how, how am I going to disciple someone? Well, that's the first step. You, you go make it happen. You see somebody after this, and, and maybe you're a, a woman who's been in the church for years, and, and you see a lady walking, and she's, you know, got a couple kids around her. Maybe she's a single mom, and you say, you know what? I'm just going to invite her over to my house and talk with her. I'm just going to build that. Maybe you're a couple, and just find another couple, even right after the service. This is nothing magical. Let's just do it. That's what he's called us to. We don't have to have something set up for that to happen. It should just happen. And so I challenge you to step out and do that. I challenge you to go and make disciples as God has called us to make. The last point I want to make is this. Is if you're not a Christian, I want to challenge you with this. Maybe you're someone who's fallen away. Maybe you're somebody who um, has walked away from the church. Maybe you rejected him. Um, I think this for me, this is where my heart lies, is I want you to know who Jesus is, right before this service, and I'm a little disheveled because I, I did a, a, a memorial service for a young man who committed suicide, and uh, there, there's a group about 500 people in that room, and a lot of them didn't know Jesus, and I, you could just see it in their eyes, the hope, there was none, and as I was 
and I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional because the kid took his life. Took his life. No hope. No hope. And I say, we have so much hope to give. Christ has so much hope to give. Are we doing our job? Anyway, I, I don't mean to get off track, but when we think, when I think of people who don't know the Lord and I, it just, it breaks my heart. And, and so I want to share with you, I want to share, if, if you don't know the Lord, if you don't have a relationship with him or if you've fallen away, then I want to challenge you tonight to take that step towards him, to have that aha moment, to look and say, you know what? I know the direction I'm going. I'm not going to make it. That I need him more than ever. The, the Bible says that it's, it, it's like a mirror. It's like a mirror that reflects who we are. So as we read it, all of a sudden it shows us and it reveals to us who we are at the core, right? So, so when I read the word of God, like tonight, I mean, we've read some powerful scriptures that says, you know what, we, we have to deny ourselves. So we ask the question when we read it, am I denying myself? And some of you are saying, yeah, I, I, I live in that place. Some of us are saying no, and we need to change. See, it's a mirror. When we look in a mirror, we want to change because it shows us who we are. It shows us what we should do. And so the Bible is like a mirror. And so I want to challenge you with this. You know, when the Ten Commandments came, and I'm going to go through the first five real quick, is, is the first commandment is, is, you know what? Love of the Lord, well, no other gods before me, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, really. Let me ask you this question. How many of you in this room, how many of you in this room have not loved God with everything at some point in your life? Go ahead and raise your hand, because the rest of you are lying. Okay. No, really, I want you to raise your hand with me. I want you to agree with me. If, if you have, have not loved God, so it means that every moment that you've lived, you've put God number one and God first. If you haven't done that, raise your hand, because I'll be the first to raise my hand. Okay? You know what? God also says in the Ten Commandments, you know what he says? He says, you know what? Don't commit adultery. Jesus later goes on a little bit deeper, and what does he say? He says, well, if you look upon a woman or a man and lust, you've committed adultery in your heart, right? So when you went on the internet site, you committed adultery. When you turned on the channel, you committed adultery. Girls, if you go see that Mountain Mike's or Mike Magic, whatever, <laughs> don't do it. It's like evil. It's like candy, devil candy. I don't know. It's adultery in your heart. So... <laughs> So, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you clap for that, but, <laughs> but do, you, do you catch what I'm saying? Is so Jesus says if we look, it's just if it's in our head, it's real. Is really what he's saying. It's not just the action. If it's here, right? And so let me ask you this: How many of you have committed adultery sometime in your life, in your heart, right? How many of you? Come on, a oh, bunch of liars. Okay. You've looked upon someone in lust. The Bible says don't steal. Why? You know what stealing does? It subverts God's blessing. God blesses someone with something and we go and steal it, take it away. It subverts God's blessing. And you know what else it does? It, we take somebody, we take something that God didn't desire us to have in the first place. So stealing at its core is much more than just taking something, right? It's, it's stealing someone's blessing and then it's gaining something that God didn't want me to have. And so when we cheat with the IRS or we cheat with our money or whatever, we're subverting God's blessing. Let me ask you this. How many of you have stolen just one little thing in your life? Raise your hand. Yeah, and the rest of you are a bunch of liars. Which the last one I'm going to talk about is lying. Got you all. Everybody's all lying. If you lied any time during this sermon, just raise your hand. Why does he, why does he say, why does he say no lying? It creates a false reality. When you lie, when I lie, what does it do? What does it do at the core? Now, God says don't lie, but at the core, if I'm lying, I'm creating a false reality. I'm creating something that isn't true. So if I'm somebody and I'm addicted to something and I'm not telling anyone and I'm living a life outwardly that says everything's good, but there's this lie, there's this false reality that isn't real right here. So I'm not, I have no integrity. I'm not whole. I'm not complete. Do you get where I'm going? And so lying at the core is deception, which we align ourselves with Satan, who is the great deceiver. 
Do you, do you catch what I'm saying? I'm saying if we don't put God number one, if we're uh, adulterers, if we're thieves, if we're, if we're liars, man, and if we're murderers, God, Jesus even says if we hate someone, we murder. Here's what, this is what I'm trying to show you and trying to show me. I need God. Those are just five. When I hear those, I realize I need him. I can't make it without him because I mess up all the time. Like, I need a God that's going to save me from that. Like, I, if he came down as the judge right now, and he, after you, all you guys raised your hand, you're all busted. He knows anyway. But he came down and the judge would say, okay, whoa, here we go. Let's judge this out. Boom, we're all going to hell. All of us. Every single one of us. And here's the thing, and I heard this today. Oh, God's good. He would never send anyone to hell. And here's what I would say. <laughs> if you saw a judge that let someone go who murdered someone, would you say that judge is good? We would outcry. So the very thing you're hoping will save you, God's goodness, is the very thing that's going to separate you from him for eternity is his goodness. Because God's good, he has to punish sin. He has to punish sin. And we deserve it. And so it leaves us going, holy crud. I mean, doesn't it? It leaves me going, okay, that's just five we talked about. I can't imagine all the other stuff. And, and I'm, I'm on my knees going, I need, a, I need someone to save me. And that's where Jesus steps in. And God said, I'm going to send you Jesus to be your sacrifice, to, to take your place. And when you accept him and you lose yourself in him, he takes over. And we live for him because he died for us. He's our, he paid for it. Let me illustrate it this way, and I'm going to close with this story because I'm late. My friends, uh, Andy and Janet, they're here tonight. Uh, they were coming back from Carl's, uh, Carlsbad uh, camping uh, last Sunday. And they have a big fifth wheel and a truck, uh, and they were turning on the 5 freeway uh, to the 55. There's an intersect, uh, a lane thing right there, and they were, they were cruising around, and uh, as Andy was driving, he looked in his rearview mirrors, and he noticed this little car uh, coming up on the shoulder. Um, and so it wasn't a lane, it was just the shoulder, and he's like, what's that guy doing? And all of a sudden, before they know it, the shoulder begins to close off. And so there's nowhere for that car to go, and there's nowhere for this huge fifth-wheel trailer to go. And before you know it, that, that car comes right under the trailer and lifts it up. And Andy said that all of a sudden they just felt the whole truck and the trailer begin to turn. And Janet was saying that she felt like, we're going to die. And as the car lifted up and the trailer lifted up, all of a sudden the trailer separated from the truck. The truck slammed to the ground. The trailer landed on top of it. But when it did, it forced the truck to, to hit one of the, the, the sidewalls. And when it hit the sidewall, it lost all its brakes and steering and power. And then it jettisoned them right towards the freeway. Five lanes of traffic. And Janet said at that time she was thinking, we we're going to die. As the car was flying through, they were headed right for the center divider, and they thought they were going to go over. And again, Janet said, I thought we were going to die. And the, car, and the truck slammed into the center divider. The trailer falls over. About a half hour later, Michelle and I show up. We get the call. It was right after service. And man, we were scared to death for them because we didn't know what happened. They came walking, and we were sitting at the gas station. I don't know if I can share this with you as powerful as it was. And, and as they were walking up, they were just white as ghosts. And, and I kept seeing Janet just like touch Andy and just have her hand all over him. And she's got tears in her eyes and he's got his sunglasses on, but I know he's crying because he's got red hair and you could tell when red hair people cry. And, <laughs> and, and, and they pull, push the button to come across the street and we were, Michelle and I were waiting there across the street and as soon as we saw him, we gave him this big hug and they start weeping. And, and the first thing Janet says to me is this, she says, we should be dead. I can't believe we're walking. And she is, she's touching Andy like she thought, is this real? Is this a dream? There's no way we should have survived going through five lanes of traffic. There's no way we should survive without getting hit and not getting hurt, not having any, anything happen. That's salvation, my friends. When you know you're about to die and God comes in and saves you, that's salvation. 
That salvation, when you realize the penalty of your sin and you go, oh no, and then all of a sudden he swoops in with Jesus and he says, yes, the good news is that he came to die for you. Ephesians 5 says this, it says, awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. I must wake up to this. I must wake up. And so my challenge for you is to wake up to that, to wake up to that. Because there's no better way to live. There's no better way to live. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. And I pray right now, God, that you would move in our midst as we do this time of decision for someone to come forward and live their lives for you. In your name, amen. What I'm going to do right now is this. I'm going to make this uh, a little different. I know... um, than what we're used to, and, and, and not hugely different, but just a little bit different, is I want you to really think through and say, you know what, if, I, if I'm going to give my heart to God tonight, then, you know, it's, it's because I'm, I'm looking at Christ, and I'm saying, man, there is no other way but His way, and I'm going to give it all. And that's a huge calling. I mean, we call this every week. We call for it every week in, in different ways. And so I want to challenge you that if, if you don't know Jesus, you've never made that commitment, then this is your time to do that. If you have fallen away and you've just realized the depth of your sin, that you would come to him, that you would surrender to him. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, and during that prayer, uh, I want you to pray with me and ask him to come into your heart and ask him to take your life and ask him to change you and mold you and to shape you into the person that he desires you to be, okay? And so I want to do that right now. So would you bow your heads, and if you're a believer, please pray for those around you. Father God, we just pray for those who need to make a decision for you tonight. Those who have just been left feeling that there's no other way but you. Because, Lord, that's where you want them. That's what salvation is. So just touch your heart right now. So right now, if you're at that place, and God has touched your heart, and this is just between you and him, and you need him, and you're ready to make that decision, then I want you to pray this with me. Dear Jesus, I know I've blown it, I've tried to live life on my own and it's not working. I'm aware of my sin and I need Jesus to save me. Please, Jesus, come into my heart. Take my heart of stone. Make it a heart of flesh. Forgive me for my sins. And I give my life to you. I pray this in your name. Amen. 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 Amen.